Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for the answers. <laughs> so, as uh, those of you know who have been here for the past month, um, we're going through a series right now called "The Basics" as a church, and these are topics that those of us who have been Christians for a while we're familiar with, and uh, and those of us who are new to Christianity, this will help us understand what we believe as Christians. Uh, today we'll be looking at the topic of faith specifically in uh, three questions. What is faith? What should we have faith in? And how should we have faith? As I was preparing this, I, I tried to picture how I would answer if a friend or family member who isn't a Christian asked me one of these questions. And I hope that if you're here this morning and you're new to Christianity, that this will help you have a better, better understanding of what we believe about faith. And I, I hope for those of us who have been Christians for a while, this will help us to, to think about how we would answer this question, one of these questions, to our friends and family who don't know anything about faith, and that it will help strengthen what we already believe. Just last week, my, uh, my son Elliot asked a question about teeth. Um, we think our newborn Grayson is starting to teeth just barely, and he, and he heard Kalina and I talking about, um, about that. He asked me, how, how do teeth grow? And this is a question I felt like I knew the answer to. I had learned it at some point back in, in school, you know, in science class or whatever class they teach it in. Uh, but at that moment, I had no idea how to explain how teeth grow. So instead of giving him a full answer, I, uh, I just told him to finish his dinner and I would tell him after. And I was secretly Googling the answer under the table. But by the time he had finished eating, I... Uh, he already forgot that he asked the question, and I missed an opportunity to teach him. And that, that's the same as uh, how it is with our faith or, or any other question about Christianity, the Bible, or, or Jesus. There may be opportunities in our lives where our, our friends or, or coworkers or, neighbor, or neighbors will ask about our faith, uh, and we may know the answer in our heart. We may, we may have been able to verbalize it at some point in our lives, but if we're not prepared in that moment, we'll miss an opportunity to share with them. So today, as, as we're going through the topic of faith, I want us to think about how we would answer one of these questions to if, uh, if one of our friends or family were to ask us one of these questions. I'm not saying that we need to rehearse or that it's all up to us, right? But the more, we, we spend time, uh, the more time we spend thinking about these topics uh, and reminding ourselves of these truths, the more prepared we will be when God presents us with an opportunity to share. So just to get started... First, what is faith? Faith is a, a hard question to uh, define because it's a difficult concept to understand. It's a term that we hear a lot about in our culture, right? People are, are uh, praised for taking a leap of faith, meaning they took a blind risk, or, uh, or we are told to have faith in a process or a particular government, meaning we should trust despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But neither of these examples paint a good picture of the faith that we're talking about this morning. 
So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 gives us a, a good definition for us to start with. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. An essential theme that we see in this definition, in this verse, is trust, right? Trust in something that you know and you believe in intellectually. It's belief in something that you, you hope for to the point of conviction, even, even though it can't be seen in that moment. Here's an extreme illustration I heard once that will hopefully uh, help us understand what it means to have faith. Imagine you're, you're downtown, right? Downtown Chicago, and you're watching somebody walk across, across a tightrope, pushing a wheelbarrow across a very thin rope between two skyscrapers. He's, he's high above the city streets, right? And he's walking back and forth, back and forth with ease. Eventually, to make his stunt even more extreme, he asks for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow. And intellectually, you might believe that the typer walker could push you across the rope because you, you just saw him do it a few times easily. But you're not exercising faith until you actually get into the wheelbarrow and entrust yourself to the tightrope walker. And by the way, this, this did actually happen years ago at Niagara Falls, not downtown Chicago. So to phrase the verse we read earlier a little bit differently, faith is a combination of intellectual belief and convicting trust. We see faith like this acted out later on in the same chapter of Hebrews that we saw that verse. And as, uh, as many of you remember, at the end of last year, we did a series titled The Heroes of Faith uh, that took a look at a few of the stories um, mentioned in Hebrews 11. In these stories, each of the heroes had two things in common. First, they believed in something, and we'll get to what they believed later on. And second, despite a lack of physical evidence, they chose to act out of this belief. So this is what we mean by faith. Faith is the point where intellectual belief intersects with the commitment to that belief. It was out of this faith that these heroes began to live differently than those around them. They began to make different decisions than they, they probably would not have otherwise. Hebrews 11 reminds us that, that Abraham left his home, right? His family, everything familiar to him because of his faith. Noah built a, a giant boat despite his neighbors calling him crazy because of his faith. And, and Moses gave up the luxury and the status of the Egyptian life because of his faith. So you might hear these examples of faith and it, it might cause you to begin to wonder, do I believe in anything this much? Do I believe in something so much that it causes me to act with this level of trust? And that leads to our second question, what or who should we have faith in? Now that we know what faith is, what, it, what is it that we should have faith in? What is worth us believing to the point of acting to this level of trust that we just spoke about? Leaving everything that's familiar to us, like Abraham, or, or leaving behind status and luxury like Moses. What is worth that level of trust and commitment? Well, just like our culture has its own definition of what faith is, it also has an idea of, of what or who we should have faith in. And one of the most popular ideas now and for years past is the idea that all we need in, in life is faith in ourselves, right? One of the top articles written just this year on Psychology Today opens with this line. When we believe in ourselves, it can help us achieve our goals, manifest our dreams, and increase our well-being. We as a culture want to believe that 
all we need in life can be found in ourselves. If we just have enough faith in ourselves, everything in life will work out and our dreams will come true. Wouldn't that be nice? If we just have enough faith in ourselves, uh, I'm not saying that this, it's wrong to have self-confidence, right? It's, it's a good thing to have self-confidence. But the problem with this mindset is that we as humans are imperfect. Our desires, our goals, and decision-making abilities are imperfect. And at some point, we will make mistakes. And to top it off, our time here on earth is limited. Really, to put faith in ourselves is like investing all of your money in a, a company stock that you know will fail eventually. And the same goes for, for putting faith in other people or, or groups of people like a government or a, a, uh, or a certain company or even putting your faith in a particular church or a church leader. Just like we individually are imperfect, others, despite their, their title, their status, their prestige, are imperfect just like us. To put our faith in other people is just as risky as putting it in ourselves, maybe even more risky. And the same goes for putting faith in inanimate objects like finances, a career, health, and safety. Again, these can all be good things, but if they become the object of our faith, what we believe in and what we put our trust in, we are setting ourselves up again for failure. So if we shouldn't put our faith in ourselves, in other people, or other things, where should we put our faith? And to answer this question, I want to refer back to a verse that is very familiar with, to us, uh, we've heard it many times before. It's John 3.16, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So I want to focus on the, the second part of this verse where it says, Whoever believes in him, him referring to God's only Son, Jesus. And the word belief here doesn't only mean to intellectually know that he exists, but it's talking about the faith that we just described, right? It's talking about the combination of the intellectual belief and the complete trust. John is telling us here that not only should we believe that Jesus is real, but that we should put our trust and commitment in him. He tells us that we should do, we should do this, not just because it's a good idea, but like the verse says, by doing so, we are saved from perishing, from destruction for eternity. Jesus says this himself later on in the book of John where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. As we already know, all of us as humans were, were born into sin. We were separated from God because of our sin. Like Hugh said last week, it's in our DNA, right? And just like our, our first set of teeth, though we can't see it, our our sin nature is with us from birth. Because of sin, we were without hope, separated from God, destined to perish for eternity. First Thessalonians 5.9 tells us that we were destined for the wrath and judgment of God because of sin. However, referring back to the beginning of John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world. Though death was our destiny, it is because of God's love that we are given an option for salvation through Jesus. It is because of God's love for us that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. And it's because of God's love that through his sacrifice and resurrection that we were purchased from our destiny of death and death has been defeated. And now because of God's love, we have a secure way to salvation. 
John is telling us through this verse that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are reunited with a God who loves us, a God who, despite our sin, loves us so much that he would give up his only son as a sacrifice for us. Now, I don't play the lottery, but imagine I had a dollar, right? And someone told me that there was a lottery ticket I could buy that was guaranteed 100% to win, and they weren't lying. Wouldn't it be foolish of me not to, to uh, buy that lottery ticket? Wouldn't I be crazy to spend that dollar on a pack of gum or, or energy? I don't know what you can buy for a dollar anymore. But that is what John is telling us in this verse. He's, he's telling us about something infinitely more valuable than a chance to win the lottery, right? We're told here that if we believe in Jesus and put our trust in him, if we commit to him, we have safety, security, life, not just for today or for a certain number of years, but for the rest of eternity. And it's with a God who knows us and loves us. Why would we want to put our faith in anything else? Warren Buffett, a, a business owner, investor, one of the richest people in the world, once said this, time is the only thing you can't buy. I mean, I can buy anything but I, I want, but I can't buy time. As we know, scientists and doctors are pouring millions of dollars into treatments that can reverse aging and give us longer lives, right? I saw an article just this week talking about the progress that they're making in that venture. And, and what we're talking about here today is guaranteed life for, for eternity. But I'm not talking about a, a longer life here on this earth or in this body because I, I probably wouldn't sign up if that was the case. But we're talking about an eternal life that is free from the pains of this world free from sickness and disease, free from depression and anxiety, an eternal life with our Savior, the one who makes it possible for us to be free from it all, Jesus. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that is what and who we should put our faith in, not in the temporary things of this world that we can experience now, but we put our trust in the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. That's what the heroes of faith did. They did, they did not have Jesus during their lifetime. And the chapter of Hebrews actually tells us they didn't, they didn't get to experience God's promises fulfilled in their lifetime. But even so, they believed in God's character and his promises that he would one day provide an eternal home for them. And they fixed their eyes on the eternal. They, they lived in faith. And we see that God fulfilled these promises he made to the heroes of faith through Jesus. The heroes of faith are a testimony that God keeps his promises. Jesus is a testimony that God keeps his promises. If we put our faith in him, we do not need to wonder if what he says will happen. We can be secure and confident when we have in Jesus because our God is faithful. So now that we know what faith is and now that we know what and who we should have faith in, we can finish off with our last question, how should we have faith? And what, what I mean by this question is what does it mean to, to put our faith in Jesus? How do we do this and how do we receive salvation, right? Well, we already uh, indirectly answered this question in our last point, but to be even clear, uh, let's take a look at a couple verses. In the, the book of Acts chapter 16, uh, we might remember this story. We see Paul and Silas in Philippi, a Roman colony. 
And while there, they are arrested and beaten and flogged for, their, for sharing their faith. While in prison, a guard is put in place to watch them and to ensure that they wouldn't escape. They're put in chains. The chapter in Acts tells us that around midnight, Paul and Silas were singing hymns and, and praying when an earthquake began. And through this earthquake, miraculously, the prison doors were opened and the prisoners' chains were loosened. During this time, the, the, the repercussions for a Roman guard allowing a prisoner to escape was execution. So when the guard saw that the doors were open, out of hopelessness and thinking that the prisoners had escaped, he took out his own sword ready to, to kill himself. But Paul, knowing this, even though he and Silas could have used that moment to escape, he called out to the guard, saying that the, the prisoners were still there. And the guard in that moment realized that not only was it a miracle that the doors of the prison were open, but it was a miracle that the prisoners were still there and that his life was spared. The guard realized that he needed the safety and the security that Paul and Silas had. He realized that he needed a savior. So in this realization and in the desperation, the guard brings Paul and Silas out of their cell and falls at their feet. And in verse 30, the guard asks them this, What must I do to be saved? It's a, it's a badge of honor in our society to, to work and earn something, isn't it? Whether it's a promotion or some type of award, it's generally more respected to, to earn something rather than just be handed something, like a participation award, right? So when it comes to something infinitely more valuable like salvation, it's a normal response to feel like there's something that needs to be done in order to receive it. And you can almost hear it in this question that the guard asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? And in that moment, you can, you can tell that the guard was ready to do anything required in order to obtain salvation. But the answer Paul and Silas gives to the guard is almost shocking, and in this way, it's, it's countercultural. In verse 31, they say to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. Paul and Silas, they don't, they don't say to the guard that he needed to complete a certain amount of sacraments or, or that they needed to do X number of good deeds or even that they needed to say a certain prayer a number of times, right? They simply say, believe in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we see the same idea. Paul, uh, the author of Ephesians, says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And this is not just true for the Roman guard or for the Ephesian. It's true for us today. Our faith in Jesus, our salvation is a gift from God. It's not a puzzle that we need to solve. It's not a, a reward that can be earned. And it's not a payment for any amount of work that we do. It's simply a gift given from God. So with this in mind, the only thing that we need to do is receive this gift. I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing. The most valuable thing that we could ever receive, eternal life, salvation, being reunited, reunited with our God for eternity, is a gift freely given to us. And the only thing we need to do is receive this gift. There's nothing in our own efforts alone that we need to do or, or can do to save ourselves. Jesus says to us in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all, who you, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about in this verse. When we put our faith in him, we can trust that we are free from the fruitless burden of trying to figure out our own salvation. He has already provided a way for us and offers it to us freely. All we need to do is receive. So just to wrap things up now, a couple final bonus questions for us in closing. First, have, have you made this decision to receive this gift of salvation? Just like the illustration we used earlier with the tightrope walker, we can believe intellectually that he can carry us across uh, because we saw him do it a few times easily, right? But it's not until we physically get into the wheelbarrow are we putting our, and putting our trust in the tightrope walker are we acting in faith. And it's the same in this scenario. We can believe intellectually that Jesus was a real person, that he died for us and, and provides a way for us to be saved. But it's not until we actually put our trust in him do we act in faith. In Revelation 3, Jesus tells us, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And the door he's referring to in this verse is the, the door of our hearts. Jesus is patiently and lovingly knocking on the door of each of our hearts, waiting for us to let him in, to receive his free gift of salvation for us. He is waiting for us to invite him in so that we can be reunited with him. So this morning, if you're, if you're unsure whether or not you have accepted this free gift of salvation, I want to encourage you to speak with myself or one of the other leaders after the service and we love to pray with you to receive salvation. And secondly, and lastly, for, for those of us who are saved, who in your life needs to make this decision? I want to encourage and challenge us over this next week to think of one or two people in our lives who uh, have yet to make this decision. And after you think of them, write their names down and begin praying for them. Pray that God would prepare their hearts, that they would begin to sense their need for, for him. Pray that they would begin to ask some of the questions that we're covering in this series and for opportunities for us to, to share with them. And if you're still not 100% comfortable with sharing, invite them to church. Invite them to our connect groups. Our, our connect groups are especially a great place in this season right now to invite people who are curious about Christianity because we're covering these basic topics. So let's use this time that we're in now and the series that God has us in now to both prepare ourselves and to, to share, to bring others uh, who need to hear about these things. Can we pray? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that you give us through Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and for your love. We ask that you would reveal people in our lives that we can begin to share you with, Lord, that, that need to hear about you, that you would prepare a way for them to, uh, to know you personally. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.